was going to talk about the guests that we have on Sukkot. So we live in the Sukkah, eat in the Sukkah on Sukkot for seven days. The Torah gives us a reason. Some mitzvahs the Torah does not give us a reason for. Many mitzvahs the Torah does give us a reason for. We are given a reason for eating in the Sukkah. It is to remember how God placed us in Sukkot, in huts, when we left Egypt. Our sages debate as to whether that refers to literally huts or tents that we lived in that God provided for us. Or it refers to the clouds of God's glory. The Torah tells us that there was always a cloud that hovered over us by day, um, by day to protect us from the sun and a pillar of fire at night to protect us and make sure that we were not harmed while in the desert. The desert is a very rough place to be. Um, a lot of wild animals. It's dry. The sun can be um, very difficult. And so God protected us throughout our 40 years in the desert. And to remember that, God says to um, every year, we celebrate the festival of Sukkot. And the Sukkot is also, um, comes right after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It does not come around Passover time when we celebrate the Exodus. Um, our sages give the reason for that because God wants us to celebrate Sukkot when it's starting to get cold, um, right off the Passover. It's uh, spring already, it's warm, and so um, God wants it, and it would be too easy to celebrate Sukkot. God wanted it a little more difficult. He was not thinking of Southern California, perhaps, where we have beautiful weather on Sukkot. Um, but the, 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 um, it is also explained that Sukkot is celebrated right after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as a continuation of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is the time when we ask God for um, and forgiveness for a new year. Uh, we reach great spiritual heights on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And Sukkot is the time that we connect to those great spiritual heights. In fact, in Kabbalah it tells us that the clouds of glory that the Sukkot represent, the clouds that surrounded us in the desert, um, that are represented in the sukkah, were clouds that represent God in a way that he is what we call makif, or the way God is surrounding us. Um, what do we mean by that? So Kabbalah explains that God relates to us in two different ways. In a sense, God is invested in us and invested in every single detail in creation, creates every single detail and cares about every detail. And that is God the way he's invested in creation. And then there is God the way he stands above creation, surrounds creation, stands beyond it, is greater than creation. And on Sukkot we connect to God the way he stands above and greater than creation. And that is what we bring down, what we connect to on Sukkot. We connect to this great power of God, the way he stands above creation and the way he is greater than creation. And in fact, it's explained that this is a continuation of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we also get this great revelation of God, the way he stands greater and above creation. However, the revelation of God that we get on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is very spiritual. On Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we fast, we're in synagogue all day, we don't bring it down into our everyday life. On Sukkot, we live in the Sukkot. When you live in the sukkah, you are bringing God into your daily life. You eat and you're eating regular food and you're doing a mitzvah because you're eating in the sukkah. In fact, the sukkah is the only mitzvah that you walk into. You walk inside the mitzvah and you are surrounded by the mitzvah. And whatever you may be doing in the sukkah, whether it's eating, whether it's relaxing, whether it's 
um, whether it's sleeping, whatever you're doing in the sukkah, you're going about your daily routine, but you're doing a mitzvah. So you're bringing God, the greatest levels of God, and God, the way He stands so far and so great beyond us, into our mundane and daily lives. So the Sukkot is therefore a very, very powerful holiday, and the Sukkah itself is a very, very powerful experience. Now the Zohar tells us that every day of Sukkot, there is another one of seven ancient biblical figures, known as the Shiva Ro'im, the seven shepherds, that visit our Sukkah. And the Zohar calls them the Ushbizim. Ushbizim is Aramaic for guests. They are our guests in our sukkah on Sukkot. According to our tradition, the guests are, who are the seven biblical guests? Abraham, Abraham Avinu, Isaac, Yitzchak Avinu, Jacob, Yaakov, Moshe, Moses, Aaron, Yosef, Joseph, and David. Those are the seven, our seven leaders who had been shepherds, and those that are called the Shiva Ro'im, the seven shepherds that um, we find referenced in our um, prophet, in the prophet in the, uh, by the prophet Micha, and they are they are our seven guests on the festival of Sukkot. There is that is the traditional order according to the teachings of the Arizal. Um, there is another order um, based on the great Kabbalist, the Shalar, Rabbi, Rabbi Shaya Horowitz, um, who puts it, um, who puts Joseph before Moses and Aaron. Chronologically, of course, Joseph came, lived long before Moses and Aaron, because Joseph was a son of Jacob, was one of the twelve tribes. Moses and Aaron was much later. <laughs> Joseph was there when they came down to Egypt. Moses was took them out of Egypt. Chronologically, Joseph is there first, but the Ari says, nevertheless, that Moses and Aaron come first to the sukkah, so we have different traditions. So, we are all further told that each night, all seven guests come to visit every night, but each night there is a different leader. So the first night, Abraham leads the guests. The second night, Yitzchak, Isaac, leads the guests. The third night, Yaakov, Jacob, leads the guests. And each night, all seven come, but one leads them. And many communities have a custom that every night they sit in the sukkah. You remember, in, it's every day of Sukkot, but in, in Judaism, the day always starts at sundown, right? So the evening is when they first come, and then they're there the next day as well. So, um, so many communities have a custom to actually welcome the Ushpizin into their sukkah every evening, which is the new day. So they go into their sukkah, and they have a little meal, and they have a special... <laughs> Um, thing that they say, welcoming the guests of that night or the guests of that night into the sukkah. And so um, these ushpizin, these spiritual guests, the um, souls of these great um, earlier Jewish leaders that come, um, they're our ancestors or our leaders, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are our ancestors, the others are all leaders um, of the Jewish people. And so these guests come and we have the ability to connect, to talk to these guests, about these guests. They are in our sukkah. They're souls, so they don't take up space. Um, although there are many that have a tradition to actually set aside a seat for the guests. A chair. They set a chair. Just, just like we have a chair for Elijah at the bris, they set aside a chair in the sukkah for the guests as well. 
Um, and, um, and so, but they don't take up space, but we can connect to them when they're in our sukkah. They're there spiritually. We don't see them, but it's a time to really connect. The Rebbe taught us that every visitor on Sukkot, each one of these ushpiz and each one of these guests, has something very, very important to share with us. And we have to learn from each of these guests. And every night we should focus on the lessons we could learn from these guests. And every year the Rebbe would speak about different lessons that we could learn from each guest. And over the years the Rebbe brought out many lessons that we can learn from each guest that comes on Sukkot. And I'll just share some of them with you. Our first guest on the first night of Sukkot, who's going to show up tonight and be in our Sukkot, is Avraham Avinu Abraham. Abraham spent his life telling everybody about God. The Torah says, Vayikra Sham B'Shem Hashem, he called in the name of God and taught everybody about God and built a movement of people that believed in God, that believed in our values, that believed in goodness, that believed in morality. He lived in a pagan world. <coughs> Almost everybody around him was pagan. And he taught, and they didn't share our belief in God, they didn't share our belief, our basic sense of morality, our basic sense of values. He taught that to everybody around him. And so Abraham teaches us the same. Abraham teaches us, we learn from Abraham, the importance of promoting God to teaching other people about God, teaching other people about goodness, teaching other people about morality. We Jews have, the, Isaiah tells us that we should be a Vaisa or Legayim, should be a light to the nations. In what way are we a light to the nations? And Maimonides tells us, this comes from the Talmud really, that we need to teach the other nations, what we call the seven Noahide laws, the belief in God, the value of human life, the value of personal property, the value of um, family, the values of not... Um, uh, of not being disrespectful to God, the value of uh, the value of not being cruel to animals. So these basic values, the seven Noahide laws, we need to teach all of humanity. It is our role um, to share it, to spread it, just as Abraham did. That's one lesson, at least, that we can learn from our father Abraham, and something that we can focus on on the first night of Sukkot. The second night of Sukkot, our guest is Yitzchak, or Isaac. Isaac sacrificed himself, agreed to sacrifice himself on the altar. When God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, um, there's a misconception. People think that Isaac was very young. He was not. According to Jewish tradition, Isaac at the time was 37 years old. He was an adult, and he knew exactly what was happening. And he was, it was him against his old father. He could have easily resisted. He did not. God instructed that he be sacrificed, and he agreed happily to be sacrificed. Happily. Happily to be sacrificed to follow God's instructions. God, of course, did not really mean for him to be sacrificed. was only testing him. But we see the power of sacrifice. He was ready to give up his life for God's instructions. And it is a very important thing that we need to learn today. Unfortunately, in our modern times, because one of the, one of the, everything has a downside to it. 
And because we live in great abundance and great wealth, despite what they tell you out there and despite what all the pundits tell you about how horrible life is and how bad our world, our society is, um, we live um, in greater wealth and greater um, comfort than any of our grandparents live. The poorest among us are better off many times over than the wealthiest people 100 years ago. Um, let alone even going back even further. So we live very, very, and, but part of our healthy and wealthy and successful society is we find it very hard to sacrifice. We find it very hard to make sacrifices when we're not going to get exactly what we want or when something's going to be difficult. We find it hard to do the right thing. And so um, our grandparents had no problem doing good. They went into the. Um, they went to these public. They were killed um, by our all our ancestors. Thousands of years were killed for being Jewish, um, and definitely sacrificed in many many other ways and suffered for being Jewish and for their Jewish practice and for their values. Um, and they didn't have it so good, but it was easier for them to sacrifice. Today we have a very hard time sacrificing. And so from Isaac, we learn, thankfully, our lives are not in danger um, in this country. We live um, in a fairly safe society, um, but we have to sometimes, everyone's called on every once in a while to sacrifice. They may be very minor compared to what our ancestors had to go through, but difficult for us nonetheless. And so we learn from Isaac the importance of sacrifice and being prepared to sacrifice our own comforts, um, our own, um, in whatever way it may be, um, in order to do the right thing, in order to do a mitzvah, in order to follow what God wants of us, in order to follow our values, in order to do something good. Um, the next, on the third night, our guest is Yaakov, Jacob. Now Jacob, we know, he left the land of Israel, and he went to, he fled from his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him. He went to Haran, which was a pagan place. He lived with his uncle Laban, for 20 years, his uncle was a crook and a bad person. He lived with his uncle. There he married. He married Laban's two daughters. Um, he raised a family. He ended up having 12 kids there, and then a 13th in the land of Israel. Um, and he blazed a path for good in a foreign land. And so Jacob teaches us how no matter where we are, no matter what our surroundings are, no matter who's around us or what situation we find ourselves, we continue to blaze a path for goodness and be a living example of goodness wherever and whatever, wherever we may be, whatever we may be doing. So Jacob shows us that in every situation, no matter what happens, continue doing the right thing. Don't be, um, don't be concerned about your surroundings. Don't be worried about what other people are going to say or think of you or how other people will look at you. Um, never be afraid. Um, to the contrary, we should be very proud of who we are. Be public about what we do. And um, people will respect us for it. And we will be successful as indeed Jacob was. The fourth night of Sukkot, our guest is Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. Moses, the most important thing that Moses did for us, he took us out of Egypt and he gave us the Torah. In fact, the Torah, Moses is so connected to the Torah to the point that we call the Torah, Torah Moshe, the Torah of Moses. Not that Moses wrote the Torah, God wrote the Torah, but Moses gave us the Torah from God. So he was the um, messenger of God to give us the Torah. Moses' life 
um, was all about giving us the Torah. And we spent 40 years in the desert led by Moses. We didn't have to work because our food was provided for us and uh, everything was taken care of for us. What did we do for those 40 years? We studied Torah led by Moses. Moses taught us Torah for 40 years as we traveled through the desert. So Torah has always been central to Jewish survival. That is our identification. Rav Sadia Gaon, one of our greatest Jewish thinkers um, who lived in uh, the 10th century, writes, Our nation would not exist without the Torah. The Torah is the very definition of the Jewish people. And so throughout history, we have always stayed close to the Torah and cherished it and, and treasured it and studied it, and it has always been central to what we have done. Next week, God willing, we will speak, because in honor of Simchat Torah, we will speak in much greater detail about Jews and the Torah and our relationship with the Torah and how Jews have always studied the Torah throughout the generations. Um, but Moses reminds us, of course, the importance of studying Torah, being connected to the Torah, and never letting go of it. Then, the fifth night of Sukkot, our guest is... Aharon HaKohen, Aaron, Moses' brother. And Aaron, we are told in Perkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, that Aaron would, uh, was Ohev uh, Shalom v'Rodev Shalom. He loved peace and he chased peace. And he spent his life trying to make peace with people. Um, everybody loved him. Um, the Midrash tells us that Aaron, people loved Aaron more than they loved Moses. He was so popular because he always made peace between people. He would make peace between um, people that got into arguments. He would make peace between couples that didn't get along. He would try to make peace between them. He always tried to work so that everybody got along and therefore he was loved so greatly. And Aaron teaches us the importance of peace. Um, the Talmud says, Shalom Khan Hakol Khan. If peace is here, everything is here. Without peace, you have nothing. Right? I, sometimes when I have to advise people who are in that a situation where they don't have peace, um, you, I often point out that often whatever you are going to gain from whatever demands you are making for which you are upset um, is worth much, much less than the, what you're losing from the friction. In other words, the cost of the friction, 99% of the time, outweighs whatever else you seek to gain through the friction. Whatever your claims are. Um, they may be legitimate, but they're going to be worth less than the cost of the friction, so it's just not worth it. So Aaron would explain that to people, and we learn from Aaron the importance of peace, the importance of getting along, and the importance of not only ourselves getting along, but to ensure that everybody else has peace as well and gets along. Then on the sixth night of Sukkot, our guest is Yosef, Joseph. Joseph was a son of Jacob um, from the ancestors of the Jewish people um, who were, were mon monotheist followers of Abraham, believed in God, and believed in Jewish values as we know them today. Um, yet, as a young boy, he was sold into slavery, stuck all alone in a foreign land. Eventually, he made his way to the very top of the um, social ladder in Egypt, becoming the number two to the king, Mishnah Lameleth. And over there, he 
um, over there he continued to keep his values. Even we see throughout the Torah, even while he is number two to Pharaoh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are all pagans, he continues to be a monotheist publicly. The Egyptians all knew of him as a monotheist, rejecting the Egyptian god, the Egyptian pagan rites, and believing in the one god, believing in values. He says, um, he tells his brothers before they know that he's, they're his brothers, um, he says, I am God-fearing, and therefore would never harm you. And so he is a God known as a monotheist, one believes in God, and one who believes in moral values, even in a depraved society, even reaching the top of the depraved society in Egypt. And so Joseph teaches us that wherever we may be, wherever we go, um, even if we are at the very top, even if we get ahead, um, we must always retain those values. We must always keep the values that we have dear to us, never let go of them. Um, and no matter what situation we may find ourselves, always retain those values as Joseph did. And then on the seventh day of Sukkot, final day of Sukkot, our guest is King David. David was the great king of Israel. Um, but when we read about David, and we have quite a lot about David in, um, in Scripture, both in the book of, Mala- of Shmuel, in the book of um, Samuel, and in the book of Devrei Hayamim, in the book of Chronicles, we have a lot about King David. Um, and we also have a book which is mostly written by King David, the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms, which a lot of it tells about his life as well. What we see repeatedly is, despite David being a king and a leader, David is exceedingly humble. Throughout his reign, though he was a great king and was not just a king of Israel, but conquered all the nearby lands and was the great um, power, was a king of a great power in his day, um, he always remained exceedingly humble and um, always humbled himself before God to the point that when, in one example, when the ark was brought to Jerusalem, David danced um, and uh, David danced and jumped in front of the ark um, in celebration to the point that his own wife, Michal, um, challenged him and said, how can you, the king, lower himself to dance publicly um, like that and make a fool of yourself? And he said, I'm standing before God, how can I not? And so David always remained humble, um, never focused on himself or what he needed or what he wanted, but what God wanted of him. And it reminds us that even in our lives, whatever we get, whatever we need, not to focus on ourselves, not to focus on what I need, what I want, what I care about, but focus on what is needed of me. What does God want of me? What is my goal? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Do you want something then? Yeah, but it, it was his interest when he took the other guy's wife... David made mistakes. There's no question about it. David was, David was, David was imperfect. Um, we did a class on David some time ago. We're not. I, David did make mistakes, but you know he was so humble that the moment that it was pointed out to him and rebuked by the prophet for his mistake, he immediately admitted his mistake. Unlike his predecessor, King Saul, who refused to admit his mistakes, David immediately admitted his mistake, and he wrote beautiful psalms expressing his regret um, for his mistakes, or for the bad that he had done. So, yes, David did certain things that God did not approve of, but he always, he immediately regretted it, 
and expressed that remorse uh, very eloquently, uh, wasn't afraid to say when he did something wrong, and continued to be humble and focus on what God wanted. And throughout his reign, again and again, we read the story of David, he again and again expresses humility, not focused on his own um, power and greatness, but focused on what God expects of him, a true king. Great question for another time. Great question. Great question for another time. We'll talk about it later. We did a class some time ago about David, but I'm happy to talk about it later. So, so in addition to these seven guests being, as in addition to there being something to learn from each of these seven guests, the great Kabbalist that Arizal teaches that each of these seven ushbizin, each of these seven guests, correspond to the seven emotional sfirot, or called midot. So there are ten sfirot, three intellectual and seven emotional. The seven emotional sfirot are also called midot. These are attributes of God that we each have. Every soul has these ten attributes as well, including these seven emotional midot. So on the first night of... Sukkot, we have when Abraham comes, Abraham represents chesed, kindness, and that is a time to focus on not only learning lessons from Abraham, but improving on our kindness and our desire and our need to help others. The second night of Sukkot is is the night that Isaac comes, and Isaac represents gevura, restraint. We have to focus on restraining ourselves, controlling ourselves, self-control, very important um, to always know not only to do good, but also to control ourselves when we're tempted to do things that perhaps we should not be doing. And the third night, when Jacob comes, Jacob represents the Midah of Tiferet. Tiferet is balance. It's a time to focus on the ability to find balance in everything we do. Never go to the extreme. You cannot go too far to this side, cannot go too far to that side. In all character, we always have to make sure to find balance, to find the middle path. The fourth night when Moses comes, the Svira is Netzach. Netzach, victory or motivation, is the drive to be motivated to do the right thing regardless of the challenges we face, overcome challenges to continue doing what we're supposed to be doing, do the right thing, ignore everything else, do what you're supposed to do. The that's fifth, supposed to be Moses. That is Moses, yes. Moses is Netzach. The fifth night, um, when Aaron comes, Aaron represents the sphere of Hod. Hod is submission. Sometimes we have to submit. We want to do something, but we've got to submit to a greater force, to what God wants of us. So we ignore what we want, what we feel, focus on what is expected of us. Don't always think about what I need, what will make me happy, what I care about. Instead, focus on what is needed of me, what is expected of me, what am I supposed to be doing. Submit yourself to a greater purpose. The sixth night, which is the sphere of when Joseph comes, Joseph represents the sphere of Yesod, which is connection or focus, the power to remain focused on our mission. Don't allow yourself to be distracted. There's so many things, so many sideshows that 
distract us in life. It's so easy to get pulled away. Um, the, um, the Midrash tells us the, the parable of a fellow who is invited to the palace. And he walks through the palace and he gets to, to for an audience with the king, he gets to the antechambers, the rooms in front of the main throne room, and there are so many beautiful paintings on the wall, so many beautiful sculptures. He stops to admire the paintings, stops to admire the sculptures, and as he's walking through, and he gets so engrossed in all the paintings and everything, he misses his appointment with the king. So we often tend to do that too. We get engrossed in so many side things in our lives, get carried away, we forget our purpose and our goal, why God sent us here on it. So the seventh night, when David comes, David represents the Surah of Malchut, um, kingship or communication, which is the ability to draw from all our character traits in a way that we can express them effectively and carry them out effectively. You could have wonderful character, but you're not very good at expressing it. You're not very good at doing anything about it. You're not good at getting stuff done. David represents... Um, the power of communication or the power of expressing oneself in an effective way. So those are the seven, the seven ushpizin, the seven guests also represent these seven midot, these seven emotional character traits um, that God created the world with, that every one of us has in ourselves, that we develop on these seven days of Sukkot. Yes, uh, Is this the time we're supposed to read from the Sifra? I mean, we should be studying the Sifra? We could. Uh, we could study. Specific time Every night represents a different one of these midot, so of these emotional traits. Now, outside the land of Israel, um, because we add a date to every holiday, every Yom Tov, we also add a date to the seven days of Sukkot. The, seventh, the eighth day of Sukkot, of course, is Shemini Atzeret. It's its own holiday. So we do celebrate Shemini Atzeret. We're not celebrating Sukkot. However, we do have a custom to eat in the Sukkah on that last day, extending Sukkot onto the day of Shemini Atzeret. Um, we have a custom to eat in the Sukkah. So we do eat in the Sukkah on Shemini Atzeret. And so, um, uh, and so um, later Kabbalists have have said that on Shemini Atzeret, outside of the land of Israel, where we eat in the Sukkah, we also have a guest. And the guest on the eighth day on Shemini Atzeret is King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, David's son. And, so, and he is our guest on the eighth day. Now, what does Solomon represent? King Solomon, the word Shlomo comes from the word Shalem, which means completion, being complete, perfection. King Solomon brought a time of peace and tranquility to the land of Israel. The reign of David was full of wars, um, but David managed to subdue all of Israel's enemies. The day, days of King Solomon was days of perfect peace, when Israel reached its pinnacle of power, success, and its pinnacle of spirituality with the building of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem that King Solomon built. And so Solomon represents the striving to reach Shlemut, perfection. And that's what we're all working towards. Nobody is perfect, but we all try to be perfect. We're all working towards being perfect. Now, the previous Rebbe explained that in addition to these traditional guests, as explained in the Zohar, um, seven Hasidic leaders from recent previous generations also come to visit us on Sukkot. He said on the first night, we're visited by the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidus. On the second night, we're visited by his son and successor, uh, sorry, by his successor, the Magid of Mizrich, of Dovber of Mizrich. 
On the third night, we're visited by Rav Shneir Zalman of Li Adi, known as the Alter Rebbe. On the fourth night, we're visited by Rav Dov Ber of Lubavitch, who is the Mitzle Rebbe, second Chabad Rebbe. On the fifth night, we're visited by Rav Menachem Mendel, known as the Tzemach Tzedek. On the sixth night, we're visited by the Rebbe Maharash. And on the seventh night, we're visited by the Rashab Rav Shalom Ber. And so these are great Hasidic leaders that um, we, who also visit us every night of Sukkot. So Sukkot is, as we said earlier, one of the greatest mitzvahs um, since we're able to... I'll get lessons to learn from each one of those. Yes, but I don't have time to get into them. Yes, there are lessons to learn from each of the Hasidic Rebbes, and the Rebbe would explain them in great detail, um, but I don't have time to get into them right now. So... So the sukkah is one of the greatest mitzvahs since, as we said earlier, it's the only mitzvah we can walk into. You walk inside the mitzvah. You are totally surrounded by a mitzvah. You go about your regular mundane acts, eating, hanging out, talking, sleeping. You do it in the sukkah. It is also, as we said, it gives us that great power from the surrounding light, the makif of our creator, God the way he stands above creation. The great power, the great spiritual high that we get on Yom Kippur, we draw down and we internalize as we go about our day-to-day life in the sukkah on Sukkot. And each night, as we said, we connect to our holy ancestors to these ushbizen, each one representing great spiritual powers, learn lessons from them, um, rep- um, work on the sphira, on the midah, on the character trait that they represent. And it's a time also to ask for their blessings. They can give us blessings and ask them to intercede with God on our behalf. So with Sukkot beginning tonight, take advantage of this unique mitzvah, and I encourage you to come and celebrate in a sukkah. If you have a sukkah, take advantage of it. Um, Spend time in the sukkah. Um, if you do not, please come tonight, as we mentioned earlier. Just like you have to eat matzah on the first night of Passover, you have to eat in a sukkah on the first night of Sukkot. Please join us here tonight, 7 p.m. We will have our dinner in the sukkah. I wish you all a happy Sukkot. Chag Sameach. Time for finishing. Can I make it enough?